Well, hello, I'm Harley, and this is Deadly Damsels, Women Who Kill, where I tell you stories about crazy women who decided to kill. Pretty self-explanatory, I know. Today, we have a story about the Pappen sisters. <sighs> so, yeah, buckle up, because this one's pretty crazy. Christine and Leah Pappen, aka the Pappen sisters, were both born in Le Mans, France, to Clemence and Gustave or Gustav, sorry, I'm really bad with names, so we're just going to get that out there now. Um, <laughs> I'm probably going to mess up on names quite a bit. Christine was born first, so she's the oldest. She was born on March 8th, 1905, and Leah was born on September 15th, 1911. Um, when Christine was born, their mother had been like deemed unfit and unstable, so she basically couldn't take care of Christine. And Christine then went to live with her father's sister, so her aunt. And um, when Leah was born, I guess Gustave and Clemence were, you know, really on bad terms. It was said that Clemence had been having an affair with someone that she had worked with. And obviously Gus, I'm just going to call him Gus because honestly, guys, I just can't. Um, Gus had like started drinking really heavily and everything else he couldn't deal with thinking about his wife having an affair, which is understandable. But even though... Christine was not living with them. I believe that Amelia, their older sister, had been living with them as well as Leah. Of course, Christine had still spent time with Leah and her older sister and her parents, but their parents were both very abusive. I guess their mom would be like very verbally abusive toward them and also was very jealous. Like if they were to hang out with their dad, you know, if they're spending time with their dad, their mom would get really, really jealous about it, which kind of sets me off a little bit when I hear about what kind of time they had been spending with their dad, which wasn't good time. Like if I was their mother, I wouldn't be jealous. I would be pissed and I would be getting them out of the situation because their father had been molesting them. And it's said that he had even raped them a few times. And so I'm just like, why the fuck are you jealous? You should be getting yourself and your children out of the situation. But you know, not my, not my job to be telling her what she should have done. It wasn't long before Leah was given to her mother's sister. You know, they didn't want to take care of her. They couldn't take care of her because they're both just, like, off in their own little worlds. Her mom's, like, not wanting to be a mom, basically. And her dad's just too drunk all the time to even really be a father other than, you know, be a fucking disgusting ass and touch his children. Anyway, let's move on. So they still had Amelia at this point, which is their older sister. And their mom comes to the conclusion that Amelia is sleeping with her father and seducing her father. When first of all, that's fucked up. <laughs> Clearly fucked up. Like her father is raping her. And instead of her mom like taking her daughter, Amelia, out of the situation, she sends her off to an orphanage. Okay. And a few years later after this... Christine and Leah would also end up in this same orphanage. It's not clear as to why they ended up in this orphanage. I have no idea. Christine was apparently really happy living with her um, father's sister, her aunt. And for seven years, like, everything was good. So I'm not sure exactly how they ended up in the orphanage, but they did. So all three of the girls, Amelia, Leah, and Christine, they're all in this orphanage together. And that's how it would be for several years. Before the girls could even really build a relationship with their older sister outside of that toxic-ass house, she had decided to enter a covenant as a nun and ended all relationships with her sisters, her mother, father, everything. While at the orphanage, eventually Christine had received a calling to also become a nun like her older sister had, but her mother was like, nope, girl, you're going out and you're going to get you a job. She basically forbade her to be a nun. She said, you're going to come and I'm going to teach you how to cook and clean and you're going to be a maid and you're going to make money. 
eventually both sisters would be live-in maids for like various households. They were separated a lot of the time, like in different houses, but preferred to work together. While working for all these people, um, a lot of a lot of them would say Christine was really outgoing and hardworking, whereas Leah was shy and less intelligent than Christine. It was a pretty drastic dynamic between the two of them. Like, Christine would pretty much have full control over Leah, and Leah was 100% obedient. She would do pretty much anything that she was told by anybody, really. So by 1926, the girls had found themselves together again, working for a family called the Lancelin family. Um, they were hired to be live-in maids for them, and that family consisted of three members, which would be Renee, the, the husband, he was a retired lawyer, his wife, Leonie, and their adult daughter, Genevieve. For the most part, the girls had been good housemates to the Lancelins, but um, it's said that the Lancelins were really detached from the sisters. It was basically like a strictly business situation and nothing personal between the five of them. None of the Lancelin family really paid much attention to the sisters. Um, it's actually said that Renee had never spoken to the sisters in the entirety of their their job there, which was a span of seven years, which is kind of crazy. Like, you've never spoken to the people that live in your house and work for you. It's, it's weird. Leonie was described as kind of, like, cold and withdrawn. And even though she did sometimes tell them, hey, you missed a spot. Like, you need to go back. You need to do this. Blah, blah, blah. Um, typically, she would uh, only talk to them through written notes, telling them what needed to be done, what they need to do, what they need to do better. Pretty much kind of criticizing them. But... They said they were sufficient. Like, the family had said the girls are sufficient and, like, cleaning, cooking, and all the other things. But aside from, like, going to church on Sundays, the Pappen sisters were not social at all. They would either be in the Lancelin home, in their room, cleaning, or doing whatever, you know, um, they were asked to do by the Lancelin family. And that was it. There was nothing outside of that. They enjoyed each other's company more than they enjoyed being around anyone else. So, you can already tell, like, they're really close and... I mean, that's usually how sisters are. Sometimes we fight and we argue, but apparently they didn't have much of that in there. You know, fucked up bond. Um, anyway, let's jump to 1933. The girls had been with the family for about six years now. And that's where things had start, started to get weird. There were already tensions, like, you know, from the fact that the family didn't pay any fucking attention to these girls. Like, you're in my house, you're cleaning, that's it. Like, <laughs> nothing else. And there had also been, like, little arguments if something wasn't done properly. You know, Leonie would be like, you need to fucking start doing this right. Or, like, you know, just not in a really nice way either. So on February 2nd, 1933, the whole family was out. The Lancelin family was out. They had plans to have a dinner that night and stay at Leonie's. I hope I'm saying her name right. Oh, my gosh. Okay. At Leonie's. Leonie's um, brothers that night. Renee had left the house first with a friend and then Leonie and Genevieve went off to, on their shopping trip. So the sisters had the house to themselves but this day is no different than any day they've had before. They're cooking and cleaning and they have an array of errands. One which consists of picking up the iron that the Lancelins had had sent to a repairman to be tested and repaired. See as Christine had been ironing the clothes for the past few months Every time that she would attempt this, a breaker would kick or a fuse would blow within the house. So the Lancelins are like, okay, we need to have our iron repaired. So Christine goes and picks up this iron and she goes home and she attempts to iron with it. And what do you know? A breaker kicks, a fuse blows, whatever the case may be. But she's thinking, you know what? The Lancelins aren't going to be home tonight. Like, fuck this. I'm not going to deal with this tonight. Let's take a night off. 
and I'll have it done in the morning, which makes more sense, you know. So I guess they decided, you know what, we're just going to have a good night and forget cleaning for the night. But to their surprise, around 5.30 p.m., Leonie and Genevieve arrive home, of course, to a dark house. They weren't really surprised to see the electricity out. However, they kind of were just a little bit because Leonie had spoken to the iron repairman just previously, and he had stated that there was absolutely nothing wrong with that iron and that it shouldn't have been kicking the breaker or blowing the fuse of the home. So Leonie goes to Christine and she's like, what's going on? Why is the, why is the house dark? And Christine's like, well, the iron broke again. You know, there's really nothing I can do. They begin to argue about it. Christine's like, it's broke. And Leonie's like, I know it's not broke because I didn't talk to the repairman. And he tells me there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. You know, she's kind of accusing Christine of lying about this. And it was almost as if Christine had literally snapped, like, That was all it took was Leonie pretty much telling her, like, I know you're lying and something's up for her to be like, yeah, I'm done with this. And so Christine snaps and hits Leonie on the head with some sort of, like, glass, maybe a vase or something. I wasn't quite sure. There's different sources that say different things. So not really sure on that. But I know she hits her in the head with something. And as this is happening, Genevieve's like, oh, no, whoa, like, you're not going to hit my mom. So she jumps in. And at this, she jumps in, which proves to be kind of, you know, a mistake on her part because Christine goes savage. She is literally digging her claws into Genevieve's eyes at this point and gouging her eyes out with her bare fingers. And while this is happening, she looks over at her sister and her sister's like, what do I do? And she's like, get her, sis. Basically telling her, you need to claw Leonie's eyes out like I'm clawing Genevieve's eyes out. So Genevieve collapsed to the floor, eyeless at this point. And so uh, Christine's like, I'm going to go, you know, get some tools from the kitchen. So she runs down to the kitchen. She grabs a knife. Uh, I don't know if there's various other tools, but I for sure know she grabs a knife and a hammer. She goes back up. Christine and Leonie are both on the floor, eyeless as fuck. So Christine starts stabbing Leonie and then walks over to Genevieve, starts stabbing her. Then they take the hammer and start beating in their faces. I mean, these women are already dead at this point. So they're just continuing this bloodbath or slaughter or whatever you want to call it. Like they are just, they're just going. They're just, they just keep going. So they find this pew pitcher, which I really don't know what this is. I was going to research it. I'm not 100% sure what this is, but uh, you know. Anyway, so they grab something, a blunt object, and they bash both heads in. And all of this took place within 30 minutes. 30 minutes and they were done. You know, it's it's over. Now it's over. So as I previously stated, the women were supposed to meet Renee, which is, you know, the father, the husband of the family. They were supposed to meet him for dinner before going to Leonie's brother's house for the night. Renee's just waiting for them and he's starting to get worried. By now, it's been almost an hour since they were supposed to show up to meet him. So he's like, all right, I'm going to go back to the house and check on what's going on because this isn't like them. He arrived home about an hour after the attacks that he doesn't even know about took place. And when he gets home, the outside door is locked. He can see inside that it's dark. It's very dark. All he sees is like the flicker of a candle coming from the attic window. And the attic is where the Pappen sisters stay. So being unable to enter his own property, I guess he didn't have a key for whatever reason. Um, he had contacted the police. The police come over and, you know, they, they're trying to figure out how to get in. This is like the early 1900s, mind you. So apparently they didn't have much resources. So the police are pretty much like scaling the back of the house, trying to find an entry point. Eventually they get in and, you know, they start looking around the house. This is pretty suspicious because, you know, the house is dark and quiet and kind of eerie. 
Renee stood back with the brother-in-law. I think he was like searching kind of like the bottom floor and the police made their way up the steps. As they reached the top step, guess what they find? They find Genevieve's eye just lying there, just her eye, just lying on the, on the top step. Nothing to see here. So they move up just a little further and that's where they find Leonie and Genevieve both lying on the floor, clearly dead. There's blood everywhere. There's blood on the walls, the ceilings. They go to Leonie first and she is face up. You can clearly see that she's unrecognizable because, you know, she just got fucked up, like really bad. And so um, they see like her skirt is pulled up and her underwear are pulled down. So I'm sure like initially they're thinking maybe this was a home invasion slash rape slash murder. And then they move over to Genevieve, whose skirt is up and underwear are down. She is actually face down, though. She has really, really deep lacerations on her butt cheeks and down her legs. Like, it's like one of the girls just, I'm pretty sure it was Christine that did the stabbing. She just basically, like, stabbed her in the ass and then drug the knife all the way down her legs, which is really fucked up. But anyway, the most notable thing, though, was the injuries to the face the faces of the girls, and that their eyeballs were missing. They ended up finding both of Leonie's eyes wrapped up in a neck scarf, and then I think that was under her body, and then Genevieve's other eye was under her. As they began, like, looking around, they see teeth. Like, these women's teeth are just scattered all through the room. Um, Obviously, I already said blood, tons of blood just everywhere. They also found the knife that was used to stab the women and it was laying close to Genevieve's body and it was obviously bloody, which told them, you know, this is one of our murder weapons at least. So they had found the Lancelot women and obviously not in the condition that they had prepared to find them in. Um, But there were, uh, you know, a couple things missing, which were the Pappen sisters. And initially, Renee had thought maybe this happened to the Pappen sisters as well, that they had been murdered too. As they searched the rest of the house, like, with how quiet and dark it was, it was kind of like they already had set in their minds that they were going to find the Pappen sisters' bodies. But when they got to the attic, the door was locked. And, you know, they had been knocking. And there was no one coming to the door. So they then get a locksmith to the house. And when he unlocked the door, this shit was probably completely shocking to the authorities because the girls were covered in blood but nude with only their bathrobes on as they lie in bed together. On the chair beside the bed was the hammer that they had used to, you know, hit the girls with. And it had blood and hair stuck inside of it. There was literally no denying that they had committed this crime. So police had asked them, like, what happened? And they're just like, yeah, we did it. We killed them. You know, they just completely confessed 100% didn't deny any of it at all. So, of course, they were arrested without incident and taken into custody. But once in custody, it said that Christine had become increasingly agitated and anxious as they were separated from each other. You know, I you know when you're with someone every single day and it's, it's hard to be away from them, especially if you have in the back of your mind that this may be the last time that you see them. The investigators apparently felt so bad for Christine that they had decided to arrange a meeting to see for her to see Leah. I, in my mind, I believe that it was more of like, to make sure that they don't crack or, like, backtrack on their confessions and, like, kind of give her, like, an inch so she can feel comfortable enough to explain what had happened, like, all the details of what had happened, even though I'm not really sure if she had already done that or not. Either way, that's just me speculating. And so the investigators, they arranged this meeting for the two sisters to meet and see each other. And so 
Obviously, they had supervised this meeting. They're not just going to let the two be alone together. And the authorities were like, just kind of side-eyeing them as they're interacting with each other. And after this meeting, they get together and they're like, you know, we think that this is sexual. We believe that these two girls are having a sexual relationship. With that being said, they had had like three or four doctors in and out doing psycho... I cannot talk today. Doing psych evaluations on the girls kind of determine like whether they were sane or not during the uh, murders. And the authorities had specifically brought a doctor in also to kind of determine what kind of relationship it was that Christine and Leah shared. Was it sexual? I don't know. Well, I guess we're going to find out. Anyway, so the results of the evaluations come back for both sisters, and it is said that they were both 100% sane and knew exactly what they were doing at the time of the murders. And then, so, you know, and then they get the the results back from the evaluation of their relationship. And they say that Christine was just completely apathetic toward everything except her sister. Her sister was basically the only thing that she even cared about at all. I mean, Leah was the only person Christine had ever really had. So, I mean, that's kind of understandable to be that attached to that one person that you've only had. You know, you've never had any other relationships besides that one. So... Maybe that's why she was so strongly attached. However, anyway, the doctors say that it was just, it was strictly, you know, sister love, sister bond. That was it. There was nothing sexual about their relationships like the authorities had formerly believed. So that's good because I was going to say, God dang. It was just basically that Christine was, Christine and Leah were 100% devoted to each other, um, but not in a sexual way. Just, you know, as, as you know, sisters. And I think like it wasn't ever said, but I feel like it was more of a mother daughter bond for them because Leah nor Christine had ever really had a mother. But I feel like Christine being, you know, seven years older than Leah, she kind of took her under her wing and treated her as though she were her daughter instead of her sister. But that's just my thoughts. As the case progressed and we began seeing more behaviors, especially from Christine, um, you know, erratic behaviors. She was like having hallucinations and just completely like out of it, really. So a- as it progressed, another expert had said that the girls actually did have a condition in which they shared. The French translation uh, translates to English as madness of the two. This is what this condition is called, madness of the two. And it's a shared psychosis between two people. So the symptoms are like paranoia, hearing voices, seeing things that aren't there, just things like that. And apparently these two girls had this condition. So the experts feel like Leone's little, you know, rage about the iron was enough to pretty much drive this psychosis into a darker area. So the trial was held in September 1933. The case was basically open and shut, you know, like they committed the murder and they said, yep, we did it. Take us in, you know, where we did it. There was no denying it. There was nothing that they really needed to prove because the girls had, the sisters had said, yeah, we did it. So, of course, the jury deliberated really quickly. They didn't need any time to figure anything out. They were both found guilty within 40 minutes of deliberation. So... Not very long at all. Uh, Christine was initially hit with the death penalty. So they're like, you're going away for life. And then Leah was only set to serve 10 years. But something had happened and Christine's death sentence was actually lowered to a life sentence. Only three years of that life sentence would be served because Christine's mental state was declining really, really quickly. Um, (laughs) She had eventually, I guess, 
tried to gouge her own eye eyeballs out of her face and ended up in a straight jacket. They're like, you're going to hurt yourself, you know. I feel like it wasn't so much as because of the crime that she committed, but because she was separated from her sister. I feel like her being separated from Leah was driving her insane, like actually insane. So um, she had ended up getting put into an asylum. Um, she had some scary hallucinations that she had reported on, and also she had refused to eat. So eventually she had passed away in the asylum four years later at the age of 32. And then Leah, she had only served eight years of her sentence and then was released. So after she was released, she basically went on to start a completely new life, new identity, everything. And girl, I do not blame you because... Yeah, that's a, I mean, to be associated with that and all the trauma that she went through, it, I hate to say it, but I feel really bad for her. I felt, I feel really bad for what she had to go through. And even though she did commit that crime, I feel like it could be due to a lot of underlying issues and things that happened to her in childhood. So, um, she actually lived a really, really good and long life. She lived until 2001. I'm not sure how old she would have been, but it, it was up there in years. So that's all I got to say. Anyway, so, and that that's pretty much where our story ends. And I just hope that you enjoy listening to it as much as I enjoyed researching it. I literally had my jaw on the floor. Part of the story was so surreal. I'm like, this can't be real. This is just not real. Like people don't just rip other people's eyeballs out with their fingernails, you know, like I just, it's hard to, it's hard to believe that something like that could happen. And it's like, I do enjoy, I do enjoy hearing about and listening to these stories from the 1900s as they're really, um, it's almost like a scary movie or something that's not real because it's so bizarre. So anyway, I will be back next week with another story and I hope that you are excited to hear it as I am to tell it. Have a wonderful day and I will see you next time. Bye!